Hello, what's this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio? I'm Rob Parkson and we're here talking all things sports in Salford. Join me the show this week, as ever, we've got James Sweetenham. James, looking forward to talking all things sport in Salford with you? Yeah, yeah, most certainly, Rob. We had a cracker, didn't we, last week? So I'm hoping for the good time to continue rolling this week. Yeah, lots and lots to go at. And we're going to start with the football and Salford City FC, who were defeated at home 1-0 to, to Swindon uh, Town. Uh, disappointing result for the Amis. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you don't want to be losing at home, do you? But Swindon, third in the league, good operators. And we can't get too downhearted by that. I know we're 22nd at the moment. And of course, in that relegation zone, Rob. But it's very early in the season, isn't it? Yeah, I don't think there's need to panic. Uh, Gary Bowie has brought some good players in uh, this season to operate in the division they're in. And, and Salford City FC have, have gone on a bit of a journey, haven't they, James, through the divisions in the last few years. And they've got to a level now where they need decent players to operate. And as, like you said, it's going to take time. Yeah, they're, bo- they're towards the bottom of the division at the moment. But I don't see that as, as a massive uh, you know, panic station moment at the moment. They've only been is it two or three games so far this season. Plenty of games in the tank. These players have to gel. If, when they start to gel, James, suddenly you'll get some good performances. And good performances result in good wins. Yeah, they most certainly do. And... With that being said, Rob, we have got a tough game coming up, haven't we? I mean, Newport, eighth place. And do you think we'll be able to turn things around against them? Or do you think it'll be another loss for Salford? Well, hopefully not, James. Obviously, Newport are a good side. Like you said, eighth in the division. We've got to start winning sooner or later. Our home form is important. Uh, over the last, se- last few seasons... Um, at home, Salford have been very, very good and teams are, are worried about going down um, to the Peninsula Stadium and you're hoping that we can find that form again. Yeah, we, we've we've suffered this week getting beat by, by Swindon, but I'm sure, uh, by all accounts, we had lots of chances and, and you know the people down the club aren't panicking uh, because they, they can see that chances, be, chances are being created. So as long as we continue to that, down that form, players continue to to be confident and play the right way, then I can't see a problem uh, with defeating uh, Newport uh, this week. What about you? Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Newport are a very good side and they'll be massively confident playing Salford, a struggling Salford at the moment. And they've seen that Swindon have just got a result and they'll feel like they can follow that blueprint to get a win themselves. But hopefully Salford, they've always been a resilient side and hopefully they can bounce back against Salford but moving on to the Premier League Rob and we've got to kick it off with Manchester United a 1-1 draw against Southampton I feel like we bossed the first half and then they got a bit of a lucky goal that deflected off Fred but we fought back Greenwood bagged the goal we equalised and then it didn't look like we were going to score another for large parts of the game and it felt like if anything Salford maybe got on top in the last 10-15 minutes or so overall what did you make of the performance? Yeah it was it was difficult obviously Southampton are a good are a team uh, you know at home that will ask questions and Manchester United obviously buoyed after after last week's 5-0, 5-0 win against uh, Leeds we're going to this game thinking you know we, we can go away and, and, and win this unfortunately Southampton like you said did well and and made United work and United struggled that I thought in that latter stage of that second half to, to find a goal. Greenwood's goal very good, you know, worked hard. Paul Pogba another assist for him, uh, but we, we just lack that bit of bit of a killer instinct. You're hoping it's going to come in in games like this in the future because when you're going for a title, James, you need to beat teams like Southampton away because that's what champions do. 
Is it too early in the season to, to, to worry about it? Are we at a stage where we're thinking, right, first five, six games, it's always a bit of a lottery. You know, we'll pick up what we can and we'll go from there. We don't know. Is it going to be too early? Because don't forget, the top six teams are winning machines, don't they? They win week in, week out. Can you afford to drop points even at this early stage if you want to be there and thereabouts at the end of the season? I suppose everyone's got to play each other. That's what that's what you've got to think of at the moment. And we're not in that stage where you're hoping other teams will beat other teams to give you a leg up. But disappointment for me. 1-1, one, one, but we'll move on. Yeah, most certainly. I mean, we've got to pick up points against teams like Southampton. I mean, we've started the season off with a fairly early run. Leeds, then Southampton, of course. We've got Wolves up next, then Newcastle, West Ham, Villa. And then the games get tough. We've got a very tough run of form. I mean, five games back-to-back. Everton, Leicester, Liverpool, Tottenham, City. It's not very easy. We could drop points in those games and we need to go in with good momentum to get us through it. Yeah, the next five are all winnable though, James. If you're Manchester United, you've got to go away to these teams and teams got to come to Old Trafford. You've got to give them a game and win them because obviously we're Manchester United. We don't expect teams to come to Old Trafford and dominate. Oli has the players now to, to be able to go and attack them, like we did against Leeds uh, Leeds United, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we went against Leeds Rhinos. Uh, sorry, Leeds United and attacked them, and 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 they didn't know what was going on. We went up five nil, and and everyone was happy. You're hoping for more of the same in the next five games. Yet yeah, we'll forget about the Southampton result, and we'll move on. Hopefully. You know, we'll we'll find a bit of form and get towards the top come sort of Christmas time, and then we can see where this, what the situation is as well. But on the plus side, James, talk about that Southampton result. The David De Gea, De Gea save with about ten minutes to go. What a save that was! Kept us in the game, and that is why he's a world class goalkeeper. Many, including myself, uh, have doubts whether David De Gea can still perform at the highest level. But saves like that. Puts, uh, put, puts me in a bad position on the radio because I've said to, I questioned his ability, but he certainly stuck uh, at least a, a, at least two fingers and uh, three fingers up at me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when we talk David De Gea, I don't think his ability has ever been in question. It's more been a case of his form and his confidence because when that's lacking, he doesn't tend to play at his best and he does make silly mistakes. A bit like, you know, Fabian Barfes used to do years ago. He had those fantastic games for Manchester United. And then in others, he'd make catastrophic errors and you just didn't have a clue what he was doing. Mm. I feel like David De Gea is in a similar position, but unlike Barfes, he has even more talent. Yeah. And I hope that if he can get back to his best, he's still Manchester United's number one. And that save was absolutely phenomenal. And it just showcases what David De Gea can do. He can save us when we really need saving. He keeps us in games. And ultimately, it was down to him that we got a point and we didn't lose the game. Yeah, that, that's the ultimate thing. Obviously, your top players, uh, James, find something in big moments. And De Gea did. De Gea saved Man United there. If Southampton go 2-1 up with 10 minutes to go, you know, we're looking down a barrel. So he did what he was, what he's best at, and and saving Man United. Looking at the other players in the team, Martial, disappointing performance by him. People are looking at Martial with the arrival of Sancho and Bruno Fernandez in that team, and Ratchford and Greenwood to to make this season special. And for me, it was bang average against Southampton. Is he is he good enough to be a Man United player? Yeah, he scores goals from, from time to time, but is he prolific enough to wear that centre-forward shirt for Manchester United? Or does Man United have to go out and get another centre-forward uh, and ship him out? 
It's very difficult because I've always believed in Martial. I've always felt he was phenomenally talented. He's got on the ball. He's great at getting past defenders. But his attitude's been questioned on a few occasions. And there are people who are asking the question of whether he should remain in the Manchester United squad. I think he can. Because I still feel that he's best. He's a fantastic player. You've just got to discipline him. You've got to get him in the right mindset. And hopefully, you know, he'll get a bit more motivation. With the likes of Sancho coming into the squad, people you can feed him, Pogba back in form. Hopefully things begin to click for Martial. But somebody we need to talk about now, Rob, is Jaden Sancho. We got to see a little bit more of him today. What did you make of the performance? Yeah, he, he, he's, a, he's a class act, James. And, and I think he'll bring a lot to Manchester United. Are we expecting too much too soon from this kid? Possibly. But he has a big price tag. And he's he's part of the Euro success of England. He's on fire for 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 Borussia Dortmund in in uh, in Germany. So he has good form, and he will bring that to this Man United team. We have players who can play, but do we have players that can form under pressure and win matches? This guy can, but can he do it in a Man United shirt? Hopefully, he will be able to, and uh, we will be able to take this team to the next level. What what about you? I most certainly think so. I think Sancho's a fantastic player and he's somebody that's going to make a massive impact on Manchester United, not just this season, but I think in seasons to come. And he could go down as a legend. I mean, if he can fulfil the potential that he's shown in Germany, then I think he'll be an excellent player going forward at Old Trafford. And another new signing, Varane. He signed last week. We got to see him at Old Trafford. The whole stadium went wild as the signing was announced. He was on the bench today, and we're all expecting him to come on, maybe get the last 15, 20 minutes against Southampton. But he didn't, and was that a disappointment for you? Well, one all, James. The game's still contesting it, and to throw him in with with Harry Maguire in a tough game, you know, straight his first game, he needs to be eased in, doesn't he? Let's be fair. And does is, is Ollie thinking, like, we'll, we'll break him in, when we're when we're in front, and then he can have a couple of games where he can do that, and then we'll throw him in straight away. Throw him in after that. Uh, yeah, he's fantastic. He hopefully will be fantastic in a red shirt. But to throw him in at Southampton, he only needs like one slight error, and then he might start to spiral. Because don't forget, there's a lot of pressure on this on this guy's shoulders. Man United fans are looking at this guy to think, well, he's going to be the the, the leader. He's going to be the savior of our centre central defence, uh, and. To throw him in in a difficult game against Southampton away might have been a bit too much. Uh, what What about you? What do you think? It's difficult, isn't it? Especially considering that Southampton were pressing in that 15, last 15, 10 minutes or so. And maybe it would have been a lot of pressure for him to come on to. The only question is now is how long do you leave him on the shelf for? Do you bring him in now when we've got that easier run of games? Or do we leave into the bigger games? I mean, for me, I think we get him in as soon as possible to get him adapting to the squad, to get him gelling with the squad. So by the time we've got that tough run of games, that Everton, Leicester, Liverpool, City, Tottenham, he's ready and he can be playing alongside Maguire when we need him. But are we picking teams on names now? Lindelof at centre-half, you know, didn't really put a foot wrong for me in the last last couple of games. Um, he's, he's in the prime position in, in the team. Why would you drop him? Obviously, you know, if Yanni's come in, uh, he's he's big money, he's, he's a good player, but surely you've got to think about kind of, you know, the, the chemistry and the players. And if he just suddenly gets sort of dropped into this team, other players might look look round and think, well, why is why is this guy in? Because he's he's, he's not shown he's, uh, he's worth, the, uh, worth the admission fee. Yeah, I mean, I suppose you can take that point of view, but it begs the question, like, 
why bring Varane in if we're not going to play him? Because we've spent a big sum on him and surely want him being our leading centre. And you can even make the case that, you know, down the line, he could be a first choice over Maguire. I know, obviously, you have to pick two, but if somebody was to drop out, who would it be? Would Varane be your number one choice? Well, this is, this is a question, James, because obviously, you know, people have to be in a team because they're playing well. And if they're not playing well, then obviously they'll get bumped off. But for me, Lindelof is playing well, so why would you drop him out? That's the that's the question for me. Yeah, he, he has come. Varane, he's, he's, he's got a name. He's won lots of things, but doesn't necessarily mean put him in the team straight away. If, if Lindelof starts to struggle, then put him in. But it'd be interesting to see. It's that's the kind of thing that Ollie's asked decision he has to make being the uh, being the head coach. Most certainly, it'll be interesting to see what decision he makes against Wolves. Never the easiest place to go to away from home. And do you think he'll play that game, Vrant, or do you think Ollie will stick with Lindorf? And in general, how do you see that fixture going? Well, Wolves is another one. Wolves is a tough place to go. But can can Man United because don't forget I think we drew one all with Wolves last last time or the, the time before that so it's not an easy place to go so if we are going to bring him in it's probably it's a tougher game but the thing is though every game's tough in the Premier League isn't it? even at home it's a pressure on Man United to perform and to put him into the to the firing line you know you're going to have to ask questions but there will be there will be a point where Ollie has to put him in and maybe Wolves might be the answer what about what do you think I think so. I think we see Varane make his debut against Wolves. I mean, you can't keep him out of the side forever. And maybe Lindelof and Maguire will start, and maybe you give Varane the last 20 minutes. I mean, if it goes similarly to Southampton game, maybe Wolves... I mean, Wolves are good at home, and there's every opportunity that Wolves could end up, you know, bossing the game, and maybe Wolves end up pressing United. And maybe we need to hold a solid defence, and Ali makes the you know, the executive decision not to bring him in, that it's too tough to bring him in for that to be your debut match for Manchester United. But he's a winner at heart, and I feel like this should be the fixture where he makes his debut. But moving on to Manchester City now, of course, he had a tough game last week, ended up on a loss, and we said Norwich would be the perfect team for them to bounce back against. And we were most certainly right. A 5-0 victory, and they're back to winning ways. They are, James. That's the, that's the thing about, about, obviously, Man City... Great players, aren't they? And you're kind of hoping that they continue to win. And and they will, because they're Man City and they've got players who can do that. And you're just interested to see what happens, you know, in the next sort of few weeks, if they can continue to win like that. Because I think, with, like I said before, with the top teams, um, it's the winning machines, aren't they? Win every week and that's how you win titles. Yeah. They slipped up against Spurs in that first game. They've gone they've gone and won five 0 at home and got that out of the system. What happens next? Can they win four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten on the spin and put a statement out to the chasing pack? If you're a team that can go ten, eleven games on the run winning, then it's you're you're a big you know, you're a little dot in the distance, aren't you? Yeah, most certainly. I mean, if you can go on a run like Manchester City did last year, then you're away ahead of the pack and nobody can seem to catch you. Because by mm. Christmas, it looked like Manchester City were pretty much invincible and that nobody was going to get anywhere near them. But we'll get on to their next fixture in just a second because we're going to have to link it to the team they're playing game that's just gone today. 
Chelsea versus Arsenal. A 2-0 win for Chelsea. And who bagged that first goal? <laughs> Romelu Lukaku. I mean, just perfect, Rob, after last week. We had that big debate as to whether Lukaku was suited to the Premier League, yeah. whether he was good enough to play. You, of course, said you know that he couldn't trap a bag of cement. I think we your words <laughs> at Manchester United. And he showed just the opposite today. He continued that form that he's had in Italy, brought it back to the Premier League, bagged the goal. And do you think you're going to begin to eat your words, Rob? Or do you think over the course of the season, you'll be proven right and he'll struggle? Well, I think, obviously, Romelu Lukaku started well today. But let's be fair, he's playing Arsenal, right? Arsenal (laughs) Arsenal defence was bullied, weren't they, by him? He scored a good goal. He had a tremendous header, which, which the goalkeeper pushed onto the bar. And he did look like prime beef centre forward. But we'll see. It's only Arsenal, and uh, hopefully, not to say hopefully, to keep my to prove my point correct, I need him um, to 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 drop off a little bit. But if he plays like every week, he could be golden golden boot winner coming into the season. Yeah, and then we'd we'd play that little recording of your <laughs> yeah. your wise words, and uh, <laughs> but we'll look back at it. But of course, Chelsea getting that two 0 win over Arsenal, a team who currently see themselves in the relegation zone. Their next fixture is away at the Etihad, playing Manchester City, who will be absolutely brimming with confidence after a 5-0 win. Arsenal will be the complete opposite, of course, where they are in the league table at the moment. And Manchester City, I expect to get a win there. And Arsenal may well lose three out of three and be bottom of the table. Yeah, it's a tough tough gig, Arsenal. Arteta in, in that hot seat. Fans not happy. Players not really gelling. And bottom three. And... If get into that spiral of, of losing games, then who knows what might happen. We're not saying too big to go down. They're not they're not Nottingham Forest. They're not Nottingham Forest point two, are they? You know, but they might they might be too far away for a Champions League spot if they can have another three or four bad weeks. Um, but yeah, it is a difficult place to to, to coach, difficult place to play in Arsenal. Uh, but you kind of hope. Well, they're kind of hoping that the you know, they'll turn the corner uh, and pick up a few points. How much time do you think Arteta's got left, Rob? Well, if if he goes, if he goes, if he don't win one in the next two or three, then the locals will get twitchy. That's how that's how it works at Arsenal. They've got Arsene Wenger there as like the 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 god, which he was at Arsenal. You know, he was very good, and you know, he brought trophies. And every coach and manager who comes into that system will be compared to him so if he isn't delivering good wins in the next sort of three or four weeks then he, he could be you know ejected and is that a good idea he's had a few he's had a couple what has he had 12 months 18 months at Arsenal you know and is Andy going backwards I mean Abamyang was on the bench you know this week um, Abamyang for me is one of the top centre forwards in the country so I don't understand how he's not in the team but I'm an Arsenal fan, and and I'm you know I'm only here to talk about things I know. So you're just hoping that that Arteta finds his his strongest eleven uh, and picks up wins. Yeah, it'll be very interesting. But last topic of the day for you in terms of football, Rob. And yeah. Cristiano Ronaldo mm. has refused to play for Juventus. Mm. He's demanding to leave the club. Mm. What's going to happen here? Could there be a return to Spain? Or could all dreams come true for Manchester United fans who want him back at Old Trafford? What's going to go on, Rob? Well, yeah, it was, it was strange, strange real story, that, Jay, uh, James. Because, obviously, I think Jose Mourinho said that Juventus have bought a nuclear 
weapon, but I don't know how to use it in, in Ronaldo. And I suppose him looking around, he's look, he wants to be in the action. Was Italy and the Italian league the place to go? Are, are the eyes on the Italian league? Not for me. Not for me at all. And he, he's probably thinking with, you know, Lionel Messi getting all the headlines in, in France. You know, he wants to be back in the spotlight again. Where will he go? Will he come to back to England in the Premier League? Will he go back to Spain uh, and, and play there? It's interesting because obviously he sees himself as, as a world-class player. And he is, let's be fair, he, he is brilliant. Um, has he still got it to be in the Premier League? We'll have to wait and see. If he does come back to the Premier League, will he come to United? Will Man United fans want him to come back and you know, come back as, as the Messiah, the saviour. Because don't forget, he's not the Ronaldo that left 10 plus years ago that's skinning defenders and, and running 80 metres. He's, he's lost that part of his game now, but he is a natural goal scorer. So will he come in, if he did come to United, do we see him as like a striker centre forward role? Is he built to play that in the Man United style? That's a good question. Because don't forget, with uh, our friend Romelu Lukaku, couldn't fit, couldn't fit in the Man United uh, role. And uh, will Ronaldo be able to do that if he comes back? It'd be very interesting to see. But, Rob, a question I want to ask you, and, of course, we both criticised Lionel Messi last week for making the decision to go to France. We, we didn't see it on the level of the likes of, you know, Germany and England and Spain. Mm. So it begs the question for me, why have Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi both never been linked to a move to Germany? Because to my knowledge, I can't remember that ever happening. And surely it's maybe, you know, the best league after England to play in. Well, I think with the German league, there's not much profile to it, is there? Really. You know, like we, when we look out, sort of look at it, there's Borussia Dortmund, there's Bayern Munich. And apart from that, there's not much in that, in that league. It is, it is good quality. But is it is it does it does it sort of throw itself into the world and say come and watch German football because don't forget German football's kind of sort of built round fans in it and all the fans have kind of like a say in how the clubs are run so is is that the problem because football in Germany isn't big money and the likes of Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo are big money and will their sort of money that they generate will it be able to be thrown out as far and and you know to sponsors and stuff like that if the clubs are fan driven and fan led and that's a, that's probably the reason why they don't go to germany because they won't have it all there you want to say them i don't mean ronaldo and messi i mean the people who are in charge of ronaldo and and lionel who won't have it their own way because they'll have to consult with the fans on how that money is spent what do you think it's interesting, isn't it, how it's all going to play out? I'm really not sure, Rob. I'm really not sure what's going to go on the whole entire thing. I mean, in that German league, as you say, there isn't that many sides that stand out. But, of course, there is a lot of money in Bayern Munich. And they've won so many league titles. They've won Champions League. And it'll be interesting for me if Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo, if neither of them ever grace that league. I mean, mm. would it be something that would be big for German football if they went over there? Because... French football, you can make that case of, you know, the money's dragged them over there. But with German football, it feels like maybe the legacy's dragged them over there because winning the German league is a big achievement. It would be. You're right, James. It would be a big a big achievement. And I suppose, you know, Ronaldo, never been to Germany, like you said. It might be another place where he wants to conquer. I think Lewandowski is, is looking for a way out 
of um, is it Bayern Munich? Um, so we it could be a maybe a swap deal on for that. You never know. It, it would be you know talking calculator numbers, aren't you? Telephone numbers if that was to happen. Uh, but it, you know it could be an option. No, certainly. But now moving on to the world of ice hockey, Manchester Storm have continued to recruit in this transfer market, and they've gone all British lines this week. Tell us all about that. Yeah, great, great. Uh, Manchester Storm uh, doing some good business in the uh, in the transfer market. They've gone and and managed to sign lots. So I'm talking lots. I'm talking six uh, young British players, and that's what it's about in the in the in the ice hockey leagues about developing British players who come through the system and Manchester Storm have have recruited well in this area. They brought Harvey Gulliver in, Finley Uterich, Jacob Luckwink, Zach Sullivan, John as it Hazini and Jamie Down. Now all British James, all kind of early twenties and they could be the the storm of the future, the spine of this of this squad and this team, and that's an exciting time uh, for Ryan Finney because he he's looking to develop the players, and these kids who are coming through, they managed to get them on board, which is fantastic, and their development will be key now at Storm because if if you can surround them with quality players, they will get better, they will perform, they will then get into the international scene with Britain. And then we've got a team, haven't we, that's going to, you know, compete week in, week out. So, yeah, Ryan Finney is going to be absolutely made up with that. Uh, and hopefully there's lots to come uh, in the next, well, next year and, and years to come. Now, as a Manchester Storm player who's had a few difficult years health-wise, but he's fought back. Can you tell us a bit about this story, Rob? Yeah. New signing, Wade McLeod. Has, uh, has basically recovered from a, a brain tumour, James. And he's had four surgeries. It took two years to get back uh, to his very best. And it's, it's a journey. It, it, obviously, it's an, it's an inspiring journey because obviously coming from obviously having a brain, a brain tumour to getting back to being fit and all the, you know, the hard work he's had to go through to get back to this level. And it's really, really inspiring for, you know, for people who may be in that situation that... that Wade can get through this and and get to the back to the highest level in 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 ice hockey, and it's just I think it's a great story. I think you know he's going to bring a lots and lots to the, to that Manchester Storm squad, and you know we're looking forward to seeing what him and his uh, his squad members can produce in the next uh, few months to come. Now there's a fantastic night for the fans going on. There's a meet the players night. Can you give us all the info, Rob? Yeah, seventeenth of September, at Cresta Court Hotel. Um, it's fun, you know. You get down to meet all the players in in the in the squad, and I really think it's a great way for fans and club to bond. Obviously, you know these ice hockey players are fantastic athletes, but they're also great people as well, James. And if you can get down there, obviously you're going to be a Manchester Storm fan because you've been listening to us on Salford State Radio talk about them over the last few weeks. You're going to be interested in going down and seeing them. It costs it's £10 if, if you're an adult, £8 if you're a kid, or £28 if you're a, for a family ticket. Go down there, meet the players and get autographs. And it's fantastic that they can do that. And, that, and that's what it's all about, sport. It's about bringing community and club together. Yeah, that. Yeah, that's good. Right. I don't know why I said two, three. 
And now moving on to the world of boxing, and I am delighted to be joined by Paul Whiteside. And the first fight to talk about this week, Paul, it's a big one. YouTube sensation Jake Paul is returning to the ring against former UFC welterweight world champion Tyron Woodley. And I think this is an excellent piece of matchmaking because if you look through Tyron Woodley's career, his highlight reel is full of explosive knockouts and that can make his boxing ability look absolutely fantastic. But I think it's somewhat deceiving because he comes from a wrestling base and a lot of his knockouts come from an element of explosivity from wrestling. He's not necessarily a natural boxer. He doesn't come from that base. He didn't do that until he started competing in mixed martial arts. He's a natural wrestler. So I think off the back of this fight, Jake Paul can potentially get a lot more credit than he's worth. But even still... In previous fights, he's taken on YouTubers, basketball players, straight wrestlers like Ben Askren. And now he's emerging into the world of people who can actually throw a punch. I mean, Tyron Woodley, if he connects, could hypothetically knock Jake Paul out. And then Tommy Fury's on the undercard as well. And it's looking like we could get a matchup between those two guys in what would be an absolutely huge fight with Jake having his YouTube following, Tommy having his Love Island following. Does it, is he at a point now where he's getting a bit of respect? If he beats a Tyron Woodley, somebody who's got such an established background in mixed martial arts and does have genuine punching power and then looks towards a Tommy Fury, should we start to respect him? Yeah, I think so, James. Yeah, I mean, this fight now for him, you're fighting against a genuine... A genuine fighter, aren't you, really? All oh, right, he's, he's, he fights in, in different sort of sports, really. I don't think he's boxed before, has he? But he, he can adapt his, his, his tools, can't he, to, to that sort of art of boxing. So I think, yeah, if he, if he could get a victory against against Tyrone Woodley, then then yeah, then, then the Fury fight could become a possibility. Again, the Fury fight would be a different a different animal, really, because he is an out-and-out boxer, isn't he? So that would be another big step up and a big test for him. We can only take one one fight at a time, can't he? So, uh, as you said before, Woodley's explosive, isn't he? He's going to bring that to the table. So this this should be an exciting uh, an exciting contest and one that people and, and fight fans are going to want to see. It's going to be entertaining. There's going to be action there, isn't there? And uh, I don't think it's going to be a dull sort of fight between two men holding on to each other and sort of... Uh, Having a rest in the, in the ring, they're, they're going to be going toe to toe, and um, something something's going to happen. It's going to be exciting. Yeah, Tommy Fury, of course, is going to be on the undercard of Jake Paul, Tyrone Woodley. And it surprised me because I felt like a lot of people didn't expect Jake Paul to want to go anywhere near Tommy Fury, of course, with Tommy being a genuine boxer. But maybe we've got it wrong. Maybe Jake Paul is potentially interested in that fight down the line. It would make sense with Jake, obviously, bringing Tommy up on his undercard and getting him used to an American audience. He's taking on Anthony Taylor, a fighter from Bellator, another mixed martial artist. He's 7-5. and five in the realms of mixed martial arts and it's interesting because Anthony Taylor is actually one of the prime sparring partners of Jake Paul so me putting my little analytical hat on or a detective hat if you like I'm thinking has this fight been set up by Jake Paul so he can look and see how Tommy does against Anthony and sort of gauge it against how he does against Anthony and sort of see if he's on a sort of similar level to Tommy and maybe test if he's ready for that level yeah, it does seem that way. He seems a strange opponent. I think that Anthony Taylor's not fought in boxing, has he? I think he's only fought once, and that was about three or four years ago, wasn't it? So, um, yeah, it does seem a strange opponent. It seems a bit coincidental, really, to me. So I think your uh, your Columbo might be right there. <laughs> but uh, 
But yeah, it's an interesting matchup. It's interesting for Tommy Fury as well. I mean, he's a guy who wants to progress in boxing. Well, he's had like five or six fights now, so uh, he needs to start kicking on in his career really as well, doesn't he? So, uh, no, these could be big fight nights for him. Not only, not only big fight nights for him, but big ways to showcase his skills on on a large on a large scale and become become like well known with the public as well. Because a lot of time in boxing, that that's what gets you the fight. I mean, I was discussing this with, with a friend of mine last week. We were talking about boxers who had all the talent in the world, particularly local guys, and who never really made it because they weren't sort of in the public eye or they didn't have a big pu- public following. And sometimes in boxing, that's what happens. I mean, if you've not got the promotion team and you've not got that sort of chance... And, um, and and those sort of fights come along for you. You can you can be lost to the sport and go down a completely different road through no fault of your own. So uh, so yeah, it's, it could be a big opportunity for Tommy as well. I mean, when Tommy was announced on this undercard and it looked like he could potentially be going down the route of a Jake Paul fight, we were all shocked because from my perspective and a lot of people's perspective, it looked like Jake was looking for the easiest fights possible. Big names who couldn't actually fight. That's why he was in the ring with you know basketball players, so he could claim he was fighting athletes against YouTubers, against a wrestler like Ben Askren who had a, a combat sports background but had absolutely zero boxing ability. I thought he was going to take an easy road. And you know, if he does get in with Tommy Fury, he's most certainly not doing that because Tommy Fury obviously probably goes into that fight a big favourite. Yeah, so yeah, he will do, will do. Yeah, like you're saying there about the, the sports as I get that, you know, what you're saying about getting in with athletes, but as as Jake Paul probably knows now, and most people will be able to tell you that there's a there's a whole world of difference between an athlete and, and a fighter. Um, you, you know, to to be a fighter is totally different. I mean, you can you can be a footballer or a rugby player or a runner or a cricketer. It's it's a totally different mindset to fighting whether that be martial arts, whether you're boxing or whatever, that these guys are a different animal, aren't they? So, um, so yeah, this will be a big test for him. If he was to get the, the, the Tommy Fury fight, he is he's a boxer, isn't he? And he's got a boxing pedigree, he comes from a boxing family, boxing background. That would be a massive test for him. If he was to pull that one off, then you would have to start taking him seriously. So, uh, <laughs> so these are interesting times. These are interesting fights. And, uh, yeah, they were not something really that, that sold it for me at the start. But, you know, I've spoke to you about it over the last few months and, you know, it's what people are watching now. So I am taking a bit of a bit of an interest in things and just seeing how things are developing because uh, you know it's a. Uh, I say it's me me, me cup of tea, but it's, it's it's exciting and interesting, I think, to say the least. Yeah, moving further down the bill, we have got genuine world level talent. Amanda Serrano is defending her world titles, and she's been forever linked with Katie Taylor. Of course, that deal's been hard to do with Taylor being such a big A side. But if Serrano can get a huge win on this card, I mean, it's likely that Paul Woodley does a huge amount of buys in the States. Do you think she could put herself in a more leverageable position in negotiations with Katie Taylor? Yeah, I think so. I think when you look at Katie Taylor now, she's such a such a household name now, isn't it? Like you say, she's a, she's an A-side boxer now. Um, and, and, and fights she's going to get are going to be the top ones, aren't they? She wants to test now. She doesn't want to get in there with somebody who's just making the numbers up. So, you know, if you can put yourself in that window and, and get yourself climbing that ladder and become mandatories or whatever, you, you, you're in there, aren't you? And uh, you, you're going to give yourself a chance. But, you know, is it the, is it the chance you want against Katie Taylor? It's not going to be an easy night's work if you're fighting Katie Taylor. But, well, no, I think... He gets a, she gets a, a few results, a few victories behind her, then that, that could be it could be the one for her, definitely. And then moving even further down, Daniel Dubois is making his American debut against Joe Cusimano. Not necessarily the most dangerous opponents, but is this just an opportunity for Daniel Dubois to get used to travelling abroad? Because he could have a lot of big American fights in the future. 
Yeah, certainly. I mean, he, he, he wants to stay active now, doesn't he? I think that's vitally important. You, you stay active now. And, you know, we forget sometimes he's only 23 years of age, isn't he? He's still a relatively young man. He's come back off that defeat to, to Joe Joyce, had a good good victory, good knockout victory. And now just keeping himself, you know, keeping himself, when was that? Two, about two months ago, his last his last victory, wasn't it? So uh, he is, he's keeping himself sharp. And I think that's the way to be. That's the way to be that, you know, keep yourself sharp, keep yourself in the gym, keep yourself active and, and get yourself, getting that experience. I mean, you, you can't pay experience in boxing, can you? And I think that's what Daniel Dubois needs now. He needs big tests. He needs experience. He needs to get fights under his belt. And uh, I think you'll see him getting better and better as, as he does. And then the last fight on the bill, Montana Love is taking on Ivan Baranchik. And just a couple of years ago, Baranchik was a world champion in the World Boxing Super Series. And of course, he had a great fight with Josh Taylor and only narrowly lost that one. So Montana Love, a prospect coming through, an undefeated record. Is Baranchik at the stage where he's going to be losing to these sort of people? Is he somebody that prospects can just, you know, put on their record, a bit of a scalp? Or is Baranchik still operating at a world level? I think he's still operating at world level, as you say before about the Taylor fight. Taylor's a special, special fighter, isn't he? And that was no disgrace in that defeat whatsoever. So I think world level, you know, the, the kid is fighting, as you say, he, he's undefeated and, and going to be dangerous and he's going to be hungry and younger, young and hungry and, and looking to, to to cause an upstep. I, I still think he can operate at world level there. I think he's got the, the tools in his, his, his armoury to do that. So uh, it makes another intriguing matchup, though. It's another intriguing contest and one that you, you could probably say could go either way, really, to be honest with you. And now looking back at the weekend just gone and Manny Pacquiao, an absolute legend of the sport, Thought. He was beaten by Cuban Jordinus Ugas in a good fight. Pacquiao had moments of success. He won a couple of rounds, but in general, Ugas completely outboxed the Filipino legend. It was a fairly easy victory for him, and ultimately he came away from the decision. What do you take away from this fight, Paul? I mean, was Pacquiao slowing down, or do we need to give Ugas more credit? I think it's a bit of both. I think you need to give Ugas a bit of credit. I think he boxed really, really well. Um, you know he's no mug either in the sport. He's fought some some, some tremendous fighters, and he's got a really really decent record himself. You know, a record to be to be proud of. Really, um, he's been in with some of the best. So, yeah, I don't think you can take anything away from you guess. But you know, Manny Pacquiao, who was slowing down a bit. You know, he's had 70, 71, 72, 70, 71 fights. I think he's had now, hasn't he? And he'll be forty three fairly soon, won't he? As well, and. You know, is his reactions the same as it was 10, 15 years ago? I'm not so sure now. So, I mean, credit to the man. He's been a tremendous fighter. But, you know, there are there are starting to be flaws, I think, in him now. And people are, are picking. And it's only natural, isn't it, I suppose, as you get older, your reactions aren't going to be as quick. And, you know, uh, he's probably still a very, very fit guy. But I think there's probably, probably a mixture of the two things. There. But I don't think you take anything away from, from you. I think it was a tremendous performance for him. And a unanimous, uh, unanimous decision. I think, the, you know, no judge could have scored that in favour of Pacquiao. I think he was well beaten in that fight. But, uh, but no, another another great spectacle. Another, another good fight to watch. I mean, it's interesting you say there, Paul, because you said that judges couldn't have scored it any other way. At the end of the fight, I, of course, had Ugas winning. I did every single person, every pundit, every expert that I saw on my social media time. I was ever had Pacquiao, uh, had Ugas winning rather, other than Dan Rayfield, who always comes away with extremely bizarre scorecards favouring favoring his favourite fighters. But Udinus Ugas got the victory, and a lot of people said, Ugas has won this one but he's not going to get the decision on the scorecards. But he did. The decision went the correct way. 
And my wondering here is, Paul, this was a WBA-sanctioned bout. The WBA, of course, have been under lots of criticism. We talked about it last week. I made racism allegations. I made corruption allegations. I made, you know, a ridiculous amount of belts. They've been gradually trying to reduce them this week. And do you think part of the reason that the decision went the right way is because of how much the eye is on the WBA at the moment and they couldn't afford to make a mistake or, you know, stuff like that? Yeah, possibly. Let's let's thank God the decision did go the right way because if he hadn't gone the right way and Pacquiao had got the decision that, you know, it just makes a mockery of the sport again, doesn't it? But as you say there, it, it just shows you that, like I say, corruption in the sport, there probably is. I think in certain certain sections of the sport that that people can expect things like that and people can be fearing going to a school academy. You shouldn't have anything to fear. You know, if you've got a guy who's won a fight, he should win the fight. Shouldn't matter what what sort of people are in charge at WBA, WBO, whatever. You know, fairness has got to be there in sport. You can't have that. Um, and if you, you you have got that, it's time to pack up and go home, really. So, uh, so yeah, I think the spotlight is on them at the moment and uh, need to sort themselves out, really, because you can't have a, a governing body that's that, that's 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 making decisions like that. It just it stinks for want of a better word. So uh, no, I'm glad that the as much as I like uh, Manny Pacquiao, I'm glad the result went the right way. One of the main things I saw at the end of this fight being talked about is that if Errol Spence had been in the ring against Manny Pacquiao, then things could have been a whole lot worse. What position do you think Spence takes right now looking back at this? Do you think he looks at this and thinks, oh, that's such an opportunity missed? And do you think he could now be forced into fighting Terence Crawford? Because that's now his biggest fight. Yeah, yeah, he might have to be forced into that now. But you think he'd want to won that fight, wouldn't you now? Because that that is a fight that that people all around the world are going to talk about, aren't they? So you think he'd want to step in the ring now and have that fight. Um, yeah, it could be an opportunity miss for him there, but yeah, I think he'd want to put things right and and get back out there and, and do that. And only time will tell. We'll have to wait and see what happens on that one. But I would have thought that would be the logical fight for him to take now. Your Danish Ugas, a Cuban boxer, and for those who don't know, Becoming a professional in Cuba is illegal. They like you to stay in the amateur games, to fight in the world championships, to fight in the Olympics. And Ugas didn't want to do that. He wanted to fulfill his dreams of becoming a world champion in the pro game. And to do that, he had to defect from Cuba. He attempted to do this six times and ended up jailed on all six occasions. When he finally made it to the States, he was living on just a dollar a day. And now flash forward 10 years, he's a world champion. What a great boxing story, Paul. It certainly is. It certainly is a great story that, and you think about, you know, some of the gyms he's probably fought, and some of the the rounds of sparring that he's had to put in in some of the toughest gyms in the world, you know, over that side of the world, and um, there's, he's not had that given to him easy as he at all. And if you look down his record as well, he's fought some really good fighters, hasn't he? You know, like said the new Ray Robinson, Sean Porter, people like that who he lost to, but you know, since then, the last couple of fights, he's had some some tremendous victories. So. Uh, so yeah, and a guy that stayed pretty active as well over the last sort of, you know, in the in the COVID times, he stayed pretty active, hasn't he? Which has been quite rare in boxing. A lot of people have had quite a lot of time out, so I think he's he's done tremendously well. Um, as I said, being you know that tough part of the world there, where you've got that sort of granite chin, you you're going to get schooled, aren't you? If um, if you're not up to scratch, so I think he's done really well there. And as you said, there coming out of Cuba, where it is illegal. And uh, you've got all that on you as well. These guys, it's a, it's a totally different world to the, the world we know, isn't it? So, uh, so yeah, I think he, he deserves an awful lot of credit for that and well done to him. And last one for you, Paul. Victor Ortiz versus Robert Guerrero. 
Guerrero edging Ortiz, but it, it felt like we were in a time machine and going back to 2010 watching this one. A very bizarre fight. Yeah, it certainly was a bizarre fight. Yeah, it was a, a strange one for us to, to, to see, but uh, as you say, time machine there, yeah. Um, but yeah, another enjoyable one. We've had some we've had some good fights over the last few weeks, haven't we? And we've got some good ones coming up as well. Some some real big ones over the next uh, the next few months. You know, with, with with some of our big fighters over in this country as well. Looking forward to them, mate. There's some some real big fight nights coming up. Yeah, thank you, Paul. Been great talking boxing this week. I'm going to throw it back over to Rob now so you two can break down everything Salford Red Devils. Yeah, let's talk uh, rugby and Salford Red Devils. Paul, defeat against Lee away from home. They lost 32 points to 22 this weekend. Talk us through it. Yeah, it was a good start for Salford. They started really well against the uh, Lee Centurion side. That You know, when you look down the, um, the Centurion starting lineup, there's... Without being disrespectful, there's a lot of names on there who I'd not seen before, and um, you know, it was going to be a tough game for them. But uh, you know, not winning a game all season, Salford got the first try of the game. Reese Williams going over and uh, looked like a comfortable start for Salford. They looked like the, the better side in the, the first sort of ten minutes. But Lee, for me, they slowly edged themselves into the game. Salford started making mistakes, started giving penalties away, and, and Lee got a bit of a sniff there. They got a couple of tries and uh, got themselves in front. Salford continued giving penalties away and. You know, Lee, Lee took the advantage. They kicked the penalty goals and uh, edged themselves in front, got themselves in, in front at half time. Salford got back level early stages of the second half and then got in front with a conversion as well from uh, from a try from Ken Seo, it was. And uh, and then Lee, Lee Lee took advantage again, more penalty goals and they, they edged themselves in front. So that was the story of the day, really. They kicked um, five penalty goals today, Lee, and, and our indiscipline cost us. I thought the second half, we were going to come back into it and, and I thought... You know, we once we got in front, I, th- I thought we'd be okay then, but we we never got back in front after that. And uh, Lee got the decisive try through Liam Hood, then another try follow through Adamson Low, and Salford just couldn't get back in it then. Um, but no, I think Lee wanted it more than us today. I thought it was an inept performance from Salford. There was a lot of people who went through the motions there today and uh, were very poor. Lee deserved it. They thoroughly deserved the victory, and uh, it's very disappointing. Though very disappointing performance from Salford. Yeah, we, we talked about the indiscipline. Uh, before Paul and you know the thin binnings and and the sending offs kind of turning games was that another situation this time round obviously like you said Lee found the way back in uh, but the indiscipline just seems to be a real bro- real big problem. Well, nobody got simbin today, Rob. No. <laughs> that's a positive. No one got simbin, <laughs> so uh, that's good. But they, they, they give ten points away. Ten points were given away by by penalty goals, and uh, you know you look at the final score, thirty two twenty two. It's cost you the game. Um, you can't afford to give away that many penalties, and it wasn't so much that as well. There was, you know, we, they, they failed to make touch from a penalty goal, which to me is a it's a, it's a cardinal sin in rugby league to, to fail there. You know, uh, we've got enough quality on that pitch and enough experience to be to be finding touch, kicking out on the full from the kickoff as well. I think we give the, the game on a plate to Lee. Uh, Lee are full of enthusiasm, full of running, and this is without sounding disrespectful. Lee are a pretty poor side. And to me, they were there for the taking today. And I don't know whether Salford rolled up there today and thought that all they had to do was turn up and win that game. 
it seemed to me that way. I think we got that first try and thought we were going to steamroll them. But to me, Rob, these days, if you want to win a game of rugby league, you've got to do the work as well. You can't just take the two points home. You've got to work and, 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 and earn the right to take those two points. And they didn't earn it today. There's only one side that was going to win that game and one side that worked hard, and that was Lee Centurions. And they fully deserved the victory. And I was pleased for them. I was pleased for their supporters. I think they've had a tough time this season, you know, uh, watching the side get beat every week. And, uh, you know, their, their side deserved the win today. They were, they were my, the miles better side for the 80 minutes. Obviously, with that defeat, Paul, uh, does that mean our playoff dreams are over? Obviously, with the win percentage thing that's going in in Super League now, it's quite difficult to figure it out off the top of your head. Uh, but with the games to go, um, can you see Salford sort of sneak into that six? No, no chance. No, I didn't think they were going to do any Ray Rob. To be honest with you, if you look at the games they've got, we've got left now. I mean, we've got two games coming up now against Catalans and Hull. Do I think we're going to win those games? No, I don't think so. Um, it, it annoyed me today because it, it seemed to me like perhaps last week was our cup final against Huddersfield and that shouldn't be our mentality we should be wanting to, to progress now you've had a good victory against Huddersfield you know don't put the cue on the rat now let's go and be professional and beat Lee this, I, I might sound disrespectful to Lee but they're, they're a poor team I don't think they were brilliant today they just did the basics right ran the ball harder and were a lot more enthusiastic than we were I mean a decent side today would probably lamp Lee but uh, that's not taking anything away from them. They deserve the win. But for Salford, it's, it's back to the drawing board. Now, you've done all that hard work beating Huddersfield and having that great victory there at home and you know everything that came with it last week. And then you've disappointed against a side who's lost 17 out of 17. So it's poor and it makes us a bit of a laughing stock as well, doesn't it? I know, I know somebody was probably going to lose, the, lose against Lee, but it had to be us, didn't it? So that's the disappointing thing. We've got some tough games coming up now, like I said. Catalans and Hull at home we've got Castlewood at the Magic weekend then we finish off with Warrington and St Helens so it's going to be a tough end to the season so no I, I can't see as many I don't think mathematically we'll be able to make the, the, the playoffs now to be honest with you Rob so uh, so we'll have to just see what happens but you know you think pride now the players would want to carry on and, and win as many games as they can but on that show in today it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough week for Richard Marshall to, to, to look at the players and say you know you look in the mirror and you need to respond on, on Thursday night against Catalans yeah, two home games, uh, one on Thursday against Catalan, one on Monday against Hull. Uh, both at home, hopefully, the people of Salford will, will obviously turn up and support the boys because obviously it's been difficult with the pandemic and uh, hopefully the people of Salford can get behind them and you never know, they, they might turn the corner and you know be pushing up the league. Yeah, well, to be honest with you, Rob, they took a cracking following today to, to Lee. I think there was about 3,500 there today. That's the, the biggest crowd Lee have had, I think, since the, the lockdown lifted. So, uh, Salford, you know, took a real healthy following behind that behind the sticks there. And uh, they were disappointed. They, they served up a poor performance. So, you know, when you've got to get into Catalans, um, who don't bring any any crowd with them, really, because of the you know the state of the of the, the world at the moment, they probably weren't, can't bring any fans. So, you're going to be relying on home fans on, on Thursday night. So, it's not the best best way to advertise it by losing to Lee so we'll have to see what happens on Thursday hopefully the game's on because I know Catalan's game against Warrington last week was postponed due to Covid so I presume the decision will be made early this week about that won't it so um, so yeah two tough games though Hull as well they got a victory at the weekend over an informed Hull KR side in the derby so they're looking up the table now as well they'll be chasing the playoff spot so I think there's an awful lot to play for in the league for the, the sides that we're going to be playing against 
yeah, other big news, uh, the new Magic Weekend shirt has come out. It's kind of grey. It's got a map of Salford on it. Uh, fantastic um, sort of marketing uh, gimmick, that, for for the people of Salford to get behind and, and purchase. Uh, there's a new kit manufacturer as well, VX3. Uh, they're going to be producing, you know, the, the shirts and the merchandise for the next two years. So that's, uh, that's going to be exciting. Obviously, generate some income for the club. Yeah, yeah, I've seen some of the other shirts. They've got a shirt with the supporters, the season ticket holders' names, and haven't they? That one that looks quite good, that, that T-shirt. And I saw the Magic Weekend shirt. I've noticed some of the, the beanies that are out as well. I've seen people, um, not the beanies, what they call them, not beanie hats, what they call them hats, uh, um, bucket, bucket hats. hats. Yeah, they look pretty cool, don't they? Beanie hats are the bobble ones, aren't they? But yeah. yeah, the bucket hats look pretty cool. So yeah, I think that Magic Weekend shirt, they're always good, the Magic Weekend shirts, aren't they? And they tend to, tend to sell well. So hopefully people get behind that and we'll take a good following up uh, to uh, to Newcastle. Yeah, and we announced, the, uh, the Salford announced the signing of Amir Burra, um, a hooker from Wigan, two-year contract. Uh, that, so still a young kid, Paul, got plenty of potential though. Uh, Richard Marshall excited about sort of working with him and, and you're hoping that obviously he can uh, bring some magic to that half you know, half-back hooking role. Yeah, I watched Amir against uh, St. Helens in the Wigan St. Helens match last last week. He came off the bench and, uh, you know, he's quite a stocky, stocky lad. Uh, he put himself about as well, looked pretty quick. So um, so he's playing in that Wigan side at the moment. They're obviously struggling, but he's, he's got a bit of Super League experience behind him there. And uh, Richard Marshall's obviously seen something in him. So hopefully he can come in and, and progress at Salford and, uh, and, and make it into our first team. It'll be good to see. Yeah, obviously getting towards the end of the season now, uh, players will be looking to sort of move on. Players will be looking to come into Salford. Where where do you think Richard Marshall should be looking to improve his squad? Well, he's already improved at bringing Brody Croft in. I think Brody Croft's an excellent sign, and if you listen to him and the things he's got, got to say, he looks like a sort of an A star signing, really, doesn't he? In a, in a signing, you can build your side. Right? I think we need a couple of back rowers. I think we're a bit light in the back row. Uh, maybe a prop forward as well. I think you, you you can never have too many forwards in your team, Rob. I think half-back's a big conundrum for us. If we can get somebody to play with, with Brodie Croft, I think looking back at today's game, we had Atahigano and Kevin Brown at half-back and it didn't work uh, to me. It was, you could have played with no half-backs today, so whatever's going on there is not working. Um, so we need somebody to play with Croft. So have we got somebody in the club? I thought Chris Atkin was doing quite well. I'm not sure, quite sure why he didn't play at the weekend. So... So, yeah, I think that the, the, there's a couple of signings we need, isn't there? I think forwards is going to be a big thing for us and you can never have enough sort of uh, forwards, can you? No, obviously forwards make a pack and a pack gets you forward and then they can create, can't they, halfbacks? And it was, you say Higano and uh, Brown didn't quite work. What, what, was the, what, was the pro- what was the problem, do you think? Uh, <laughs> I have to be careful what I say. <laughs> um, Kevin, Kevin Brown's been a great player. Yeah. I think in rugby league, but I think today, <clears throat> I thought he was sorry Sunday as, as we're recording this. I thought he was a bit slow. Mm. He looks he looks like a guy who's finished for me now. Really, I don't think he's got the pace anymore. There's a couple of chances where he had opportunities to break through, and it, and that speed's not there. And it's a young man's game, isn't it? Really, Rob. I mean, I, I I don't want to disrespect Brown. I think he's been a good player, but I think Father Time's catching up with him a bit now. I think he'd probably be the first to admit that. Higano. I don't know. He's he's not really stamped his authority in any of the games I've seen so far. Um, he didn't really take the line on. Lee had a player called Joe Miller at halfback for them today. Who's, who's suffered with a lot of injuries, but he's a player who's always impressed me. But I don't think he's the greatest halfback in the world. What he did, and he won man of the match award as well. He took the line on. He ran at the line. He was direct and quick and difficult to to deal with. 
And, and that's what you need as a half-back. So we don't seem to have that at the moment. We've got Declan Patton there. He's not played for a while, whether he's fell out of favour. But it's a, it's a conundrum. If you've not got your half-backs right, you're going to struggle to win any game. Yeah, um, obviously two minutes to go. Let's finish with our other side, uh, Swinton Lions. They travelled to Bradford uh, on their new sort of designed pitch and lost 30 points to 26. Close game for Swinton Lions. They've certainly perked up after the departure of uh, Stuart Little, <coughs> but unfortunately, defeat for them. Yeah, defeat for them, and that's confirmed their relegation, hasn't it, for uh, for this season. They'll be playing in League One next season. Now, I don't think they can't catch... Um, third bottom side so their relegation was confirmed this evening so so that's disappointing for Swinton and everybody involved with the club and you know I think they gave a great account of themselves today against the Bradford side who were up near the top chasing the playoffs and you know if you looked at the bookmakers I think they were giving uh, Swinton 28 point start or something like that today so to, to go there and uh, only lose by four points I think gives them credit and they've improved the last few weeks they've put in some good performances but no, it's been a long, tough season for them and uh, they're going to have to regroup next season in League One and I'm sure they'll challenge again and I'm sure they'll be back up challenging at the top of that league next season and hopefully be pushing for promotion again. Yeah, with about a minute to go, Paul, obviously the Swinton fans out there uh, will be disappointing with relegation uh, but opportunity to, to bounce back because obviously you know, the club, they've gone through a lot, haven't they? Playing out with Hayward Road, there's not many Swinton fans but they're certainly a passionate bunch and will stay committed to the cause. Yeah, of course, there are some great fans at Swinton, and uh, they've had they've had a good little run in the, in the in the championship. It's like we say every week; it's a very very tough league competing against lots of Featherstone and Toulouse. They've got they've got Super League sort of the Super League sides in their way in the in the making, aren't they? So uh, so yeah, I think Swinton get back down there, find the feet, and, and push for a promotion again, and then next time build again. So uh, that's the great thing about rugby league; you can always bounce back and, and build back, and I'm sure Swinton will be fine. Yeah, uh, twenty seconds to go, Paul. Biggest derby in rugby league. Salford Swinton. Because that's what it's all about on Salford City Radio on the Sports Zone. We're always supporting our local sides. Big thanks for joining us on the Sports Zone on Salford City Radio tonight. I'm Rob Parkinson. That was Paul Whiteside. Jane Sweet was on before talking boxing and football as well. And we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat. Big thanks for tuning in. See you again soon.